Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. I'm glad you're all with us for today's edition of Political Rewind. Um, I'm Bill Nygut, and uh, welcome. It's uh, If you're listening in real time, it's Monday. Jim Galloway, lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. My first question to you is, how was your weekend? Uh, it was. We had glorious weather, yeah. which continues today. Yeah. And and we're back to work. Yeah, did you do some wood, week. woodworking over I the did, weekend? I did, I did, I did. For those of you out there who do not know, Jim Galloway uh, is following in the footsteps. Uh, he'd love to be able to follow in the actual footsteps of his grandfather, who was a great woodworker who did cathedrals across the Midwest, in Ohio mostly, right? And Galloway, you work on, you do woodwork on a little bit smaller scale. On, 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 on the weekends. Yeah. Just on the weekends. Yeah. Uh, well, we're glad you're here, of course, uh, for today's show. Um, Jim, in addition to appearing in the newspaper on Wednesdays and Sundays, oversees the Political Rewind, I'm sorry, the Political Insider, Insider. column, which is part of AJC.com. You can see that any time of the day or night. Uh, sitting right next to him, Heath Garrett, Republican strategist. You've been... You've been missing in action for a little while, Heath. It's great to have you back. A little business travel, and yeah. uh, glad to be back. Yeah, with are you, you out there looking for candidates for the 2020 cycle, or is it getting a little late for that? No, it actually is getting a little late. The cycle starts so early, but uh, still out there uh, trying to make sure we find the right candidates yeah. for the right So, position. have you found anybody? I've got a few out there. Where? Well, 6th Congressional District, I've oh. got a Oh, that's right. How, yeah. how, how, how about the Alabama Senate? Anybody other than Yeah, well, Moore? so I, I'm in conversations. With, I will be involved in Alabama somehow. <laughs> it will not be for uh, Roy Moore. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we really are glad you're back with us. We're also really thrilled again to have Stacey Evans back with us, former Democratic member of the State House of Representatives, ran for governor in uh, 2018 in, in the Democratic primaries. And how old is your newest uh, addition to the House? Six weeks. Six weeks yeah, Six old. weeks and uh, two days. Yeah, you're like, I said this on the show before, but you're just now at the moment when many mothers are just thinking about maybe going back to work, but you are like, you were bam, up and out a week later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blessed. I'm healthy. The baby's healthy. He's doing good. So I'm glad to be able to get out a little bit. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, Let's start by talking about the fact, Jim, we now know that Stacey Abrams is finally about to uh, tell us all whether she's going to run for the United States Senate, the Democratic nomination for Senate against David Perdue in the fall race in 2020. Uh, she's going to do a series of short interviews, apparently, late tonight and her campaign is saying they're embargoed till tomorrow morning. We'll see if that holds or not. But uh, this is an announcement that people, Democrats, have been eager to see happen so they can move on. Right, right. The betting is that she will not run for the U.S. Senate, that she will not rule out the White House, but I'll I, I run for the White House later on this summer. I, I, although I've, I've, I've become to think of that as maybe a, 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 uh, a, a small bid for a cabinet post. Uh, in a in a in a if if Democrats take uh, take the 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 uh, White House in 2020, and then that sets her up for a, a 2022 rematch with Brian Kemp. Okay, um, Stacey Evans. About time we heard from Stacey Abrams, huh? Yeah, it's exciting that she's going to make the announcement tomorrow. I, I I think along the lines that y'all are thinking that she's probably not going to run, and I think this will allow. Uh, Teresa Tomlinson and whoever else is out there to start running full full throated campaigns for the U.S. Senate, and I think you will see um, a flood of candidates jump into that race on the Democratic side after uh, uh, Stacey makes her announcement. If it is what we think it's going to be, yeah, yeah. I mean, there doesn't seem to be now, and you could tell this. Uh, and I want to get Heath to weigh in on it too. But I mean, you talk to people, and you, you know, your political circle. Is there anyone that you talk to who thinks she is going to say yes? I'll I'll uh, run in the Democratic primary for Senate. No, not at all. And and there's not the 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 flurry of activity that you would expect to see with consultants and and hires uh, for the campaign coming in town and. Um, 
staging events and things like that, you're not you're not hearing anything like that. Heath, what are you hearing? You talk to a lot of people. Uh, hearing the same thing, right? That, that if anything, she's become this national figure uh, within the Democratic Party and, and outside of the Democratic Party, particularly the national media in New York and Los Angeles and Washington. She's this kind of unique character in politics, uh, and we've seen no evidence of her gearing up on the ground. Now, one can argue she didn't have to because the organization still in and around Atlanta, fair fight, a, a C4 organization has been created which to carry on kind of her messaging and, and has been the employment of uh, a lot of her staffers. So she could flip the switch tomorrow and surprise us all, but we're not hearing anything to the indication that she's actually going to run. And I think there's a big question as to whether or not she's already put the Democrat nominee, whoever that's going to be, at a disadvantage. The we Democratic Party nominee? The Democratic Party nominee. Oh, okay. Uh, because I think Teresa Tomlinson was in a position to be a clear front runner, but she's been held back by Stacey Abrams. And I think there's some a lot of discussion on our side about whether or not this has been beneficial to David Perdue. Yeah. Stacey Evans, I've heard uh, Sarah Riggs Amico's name mentioned. Uh, who, who, who else is considering it, you think? Who else is in that raft of? Absolutely, Amico. I think we'll get in this race. Uh, John Ossoff is still out there talking about running. Uh, of course, Jen Jordan took her name out uh, last night. Um, those are those are some of the main folks that I'm hearing. Uh, you still hear Raphael Warnock's name thrown mm-hmm. around every now and then. Um, I haven't the heard the pastor at, at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And Bill, real quick on that, I think this is really fascinating, right? If Stacey Abrams exits the race and there's not an African American in that top four or five mention uh, in the in the modern context of the Democratic Party in Georgia, that's a there's a hole there that could be filled by somebody as an African American candidate that could kind of come out of nowhere uh, that we haven't heard about. If not Raphael Warnock, whose name he thought about running against Johnny Isaacson yep. uh, pretty seriously, and I know he's kept a pretty high profile of of late, but. That would be a huge gap in that field that's going to be filled by somebody. When there was the thought, I haven't heard much about this lately, but there was a thought many months ago about Michael Thurman jumping in this race. And yeah, if he, he came says in, he's not going really, to do it, but who he would knows? be strong. He yeah. would be strong. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, just with us on Friday. Right. We pressed him on it, not on the air, uh, because, you know, we didn't see any point in pressing him on the air. But now if it's true that Abrams is not getting into the race, Thurman says he doesn't want to make this contest, but it might be uh, an opportunistic uh, moment for him. Look, you can make you could make the argument that it's almost it, it's that you need a it's going to be a presidential year. You will have voter enthusiasm. It wouldn't hurt Democrats to have a a, a, a hotly contested U.S. Senate race. I don't think. Uh, and and if you can get if if you can get the the uh, a, the question is if you have a presidential con- contest that doesn't include an African American and you don't have one in the U.S. Senate race in Georgia. Then do you are you putting yourself as at a disadvantage when it comes to to voter enthusiasm? Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, Heath, you mentioned that Stacey Abrams has become a true national figure. The uh, New York Times Magazine this weekend had a, an extended conversation with her, an interview with her, and I'm wondering, Robert Jimison, we ought to find the link to that New York Times Magazine interview. He's already got a thumbs up in the control room. We're going to put up a link on our social media account. So if you want to read it, uh, it's, (laughs) Jim, among the substantive matters that Ms. Abrams deals with in this uh, long interview, she's asked if she has any, first of all, she's asked if she has any self-doubts about herself in politics. And her answer to that is basically, nope, I don't. But then she's asked, does she have any doubts about herself outside politics? And she says... Well, I think there's a section in there that that talks about her uh, her postponement of her her, her romantic. Yeah, uh, she says. Life, uh, yeah. Which, which I'm, I'll let you and you can read that part. Well, I mean, she says I'm. I've jokingly said I wasn't good at dating, so I stopped doing it. I regret that I allowed self doubt in the one area uh, uh, of how I approached an entire facet of my life. I'm working to remedy that. But it's taken some time for me to get there. So, yes, I'm capable of self-doubt. It's usually not in the professional space, but in the romantic relationship space. Actually, Heath, I, I mentioned that I love that moment because you can relate. Because there Stacey Abrams is a real human being 
she's so into the world of policy and she's such a great policy wonk. Uh, and this is a human moment. I love that about this interview. No, and, and I think, you know, I try to get, I've always had a lot of respect for Stacey Abrams, uh, worked well with her across the aisle over the years in politics, uh, obviously became a little more partisan last cycle. But I think a little bit more of that uh, in the last cycle, it might, would it have been worth another <laughs> 0.2 or 0.5% of the vote uh, of who, who she really is, right? Because it's so hard, and I understand when you get in these, these, these mega races, but uh, I also thought it was a very fascinating interview. She went on at, at length about issues like capitalism. and She calls herself a she capitalist. She says she is a right. capitalist, although, although Garrett over here, Mr. Republican Cynic, says that she then goes on to talk about uh, capitalism in socialistic terms. terms. I think this be, you know, as a political philosopher, i got to point out, a heavily regulated private enterprise. Okay, you, you, you readers didn't hear this because it happened on the air, but okay, so we say she's, she, she's declared herself a capitalist. Uh, Heath says, yeah, but she's a French capitalist. <laughs> she, she's, she's a capitalist, as, as we all should be. Uh, but recognizes that you need to have rules and that the rule of law and, and regulations are a big part of making capitalism work. It's why it's worked better here than anywhere else. And, and I think that that's what she was acknowledging in the article. Yeah, St- I think, yeah, inarticulately, she said heavily regulated uh, rather than just rules. Stacey Evans, um, what do you make of this notion? Jim already uh, referred to it, but this notion, as she's m- mentioned a couple of times now, that if she did think she wanted to run for the White House, she figured she could do it in the fall, and that'd be plenty of time. We're now seeing a field really harden. I mean, I get that there's 20 candidates in there, but with the entrance of Joe Biden, with polling that shows that Bernie Sanders in here locked in, with big, big fundraising underway right now, and a first debate coming up in, in later Jim. in June. I, do you think maybe Jim is that this is right, that Jim is saying that this is just a great way for her to keep her political ambitions uh, out there for people to see. But can you be a realistic candidate for president waiting like this? Um, I I hope that Jim's not right. I hope that she's not just using it for political attention. I don't want to think that about her. Um, I think it's a gamble, though. Um, If she really is thinking about running for the White House, it's a gamble. Now, it could pay off because in this big field where everybody's out there and they have a chance to mess up, she has a chance to watch them to see what's working and see, most importantly, what's not working. And then if if nobody's sort of running with the ball, she has a chance to jump in there and sort of be the savior. Um, but if everybody starts to rally around someone, then she's waited too late. So yeah. it's a gamble. Yeah. OK. Um, one other quick note about all this, Jim. Uh, she tomorrow will let everybody know her intentions. Part one of the reasons for the timing is that today, Fair Fight, her nonprofit group that is working on what they call election reform is having its first big hearing in federal court. And they have a massive... It's hard for me to even wrap my arms around all the things they're asking the courts to adjudicate. But suffice it to say, they're looking at a lot of the issues that they have researched and contend were a big problem in the 2018 elections here. It's a a very... It's a a massive lawsuit that really just uh, challenges uh, Georgia's voting system at its at its very core, uh, from 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 the exact match uh, items to to I think I think if there's a mention in there of the Secretary of State's office, the role of that. So it it it, it is a it is a, it I see it as kind of a, an attempt to create a a judicial uh, I guess Section Five replacement uh, for the Voting Rights Act. Ironically, Heath, they're in court today. And today is the same day that the Brenner, Brennan Center for Justice, a nonpartisan organization, released a study which showed that Georgia's automatic voter registration, which you get when you go get your driver's license, right. has uh, signed up more than 681,000 new voters since it was put into place a couple of years ago, which puts the state's total number of registered voters over 7 million people. And this is something... Now, that does not preclude 
the this that right. that the, they're not in opposition to one another. You can have high voter registration and disqualify people who maybe shouldn't be disqualified. So one isn't pitted against the other necessarily. Not not necessarily, although it is evidence, right, that if you try to malign Secretary of State Brian Kemp for not making it easier to register to vote, it's just factually not correct, right? He made it very easy to register to vote. Uh, the Democratic and the Republican members of the legislature made it very easy to automatically register to vote in the state of Georgia and try to remind our listeners, right, that we had record turnout in November, uh, not just for an off-year election. We had record turnout uh, historically in all demographics uh, across the state of Georgia. And so there are obviously arguments to be made on this. That's why they're in court. Um, However, I do think that narrative is a little bit overblown. And it's going to be interesting to see when we get beyond the press release headlines I think they get for filing these suits, whether or not there's much merit to it. Okay. But, Stacey Evans, it isn't as if they haven't already heard from some of the judges that they've been before in the past. I mean, uh, Judge Totenberg has said she wants to hear more. She felt there were some real problems that needed to be addressed. She said we it was too late to address them when they came to her right before the election, but she made it clear she thinks there are issues that need to be adjudicated. There are issues, and, and we should be proud that it is relatively easy to register to vote here. That automatic voter registration, the motor voter, is a good thing. Um, But we have to acknowledge that there are problems uh, in the system. And I hope that Governor Kemp doesn't go the way of uh, President Trump uh, when we all see that there were problems with Russian interference. Whether he was involved in it or not, we should be concerned as Americans and we should be using the Department of Justice and all means at our disposal to to make sure that this doesn't happen again. By the same token, Brian Kemp and the Republicans here in Georgia should recognize that whether they did it on purpose or whether it happened inadvertently or whether it happened because of the counties or because of the state, there were issues with uh, with voting. And we'd all be better off if those were fixed. So it, taking the politics out of it and recognizing there are issues and we should look to fix them. As a point, real quick, they, they did recognize there are a couple of these things that were brought to their attention during last fall that were corrected. Uh, there are a couple of things they've agreed to in these lawsuits where they were brought up. And then in the past legislative sessions, yeah, some, it, of them were corrected. some of them were corrected. Right. So there is a willingness to work on that. Jim, I think it's interesting. One of the questions I was particularly interested in in this New York Times interview with Abrams, um, is there any fear in your part that using the kind of language about, you know, I won the election. I just didn't get seated. Uh, is, does that feel to you like you're doing the same thing that President Trump uh, has has talked about, delegitimized elections? She claims the difference is that his were just basically uh, uh, errant threats. Uh, uh, She's got those. Whereas those, she has data. Yeah, she, she, she has data, and she has those those findings by by the the federal judges uh, during last fall. Okay, let's move on. A couple of quick things in terms of elections. Uh, uh, Democrat Stacy have a new candidate now in the seventh district congressional race. Uh, I think Brenda Lopez. If, if she hasn't already jumped in this morning, and I haven't seen it, has made it clear that she's going to get into the race. There's no question she uh, wants to, mm-hmm. to run for the 7th District. She'd be the first uh, Latino woman, I think, in this. Is he the first in Georgia to run for uh, Congress? Maybe? I, mean, I, I think that's I right. I think that's right. That's right. And, and she should run. Um, if, she has, if, she's, if she's not done it yet, Brenda, you should do it. She'll be yeah, she's a strong candidate. Yeah, she's planning to um, do it. Carolyn and um, and Nabila are also great candidates, uh, Democratic women that are in that race. And, um, you know, that the seventh is very interesting because Carolyn Bordeaux got in last time. Um, she showed everybody that it was a winnable district. Perhaps before that, folks were maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And now all these folks want to jump in and benefit from what Carolyn showed us was possible. Is it fair? Is it not fair? It's it's politics, um, and it, and now it's an open seat that looks winnable, and so she's going to have some company. Now that's not that wouldn't be unlike what what happened to John Ossoff, that he that he kind of that his his or he lost, but his or his his campaign kind of established the 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 grassroots organization that allowed Lucy McBath to win the next year. Um, Heath, how interesting! I, I think this is good for the Democratic Party, right? And in the seventh congressional district, as much as I don't want the Democrats to win that district, because it is going to do exactly what Jim talked about. The the, the Democratic Party has done a better job than we have on the north in the northern suburbs of Atlanta, all across the sixth and the seventh congressional district, literally going door to door in a way that people used to talk about. But but between Stacey Abrams and what Ossoff did, and what the De- National Democratic Party funded. 
And if they start to do that in the 7th Congressional District at the level they did it in the 6th Congressional District this last election cycle, uh, we as Republicans had better pay attention to that and find a solution to it quickly because in a close election, those door-to-door turnout knocks uh, and or tweets and or text are, are going to be the difference for us. And I, I can make the argument that, that, that my good friend Rob Woodall underperformed uh, this last time because he, they didn't see the threat coming and they didn't go on television until four days before the election when a lot of the votes were already in the in the tank, so to speak. But uh, Republicans need to pay attention uh, on the, in the 7th District or it will it could flip on us uh, without an effort. Your good friend, Eric Tannenblatt, was singing the praises of a Republican woman who was uh, jumping into that 7th yeah. District race. That's Lynn Homrick. Lynn Homrick. Uh, we know she comes from, a, she's got a great pedigree. I mean, she, she was a senior pre- uh, uh, executive at Home Depot. Her husband runs the... Falcons, the Arthur Blank's for-profit companies, essentially. she doesn't appear to live in the district, Heath. Well, uh, you know, as, you, as, as, as our listeners are so astute to know, in the one place you don't have to live is in a congressional district. We've had a number of members of our con- congressional delegates who don't. But boy, I, do y'all seem to, to talk about it a lot I, I in think, the sixth congressional district. I think district. she's actually rectified that from what I've heard. Really? I've she's heard now she's, moved? She's, she's purchased a house? Uh, real estate uh, in the seventh congressional district. <laughs> but I'm not, I, don't have, I can't prove that yet, but uh, that's a legitimate point. I think the other thing to mention is that the Republicans are starting to to, to catch on. Renee Unterman's also in that race. You've got two Republican women. I haven't seen her announce well, officially, but it's, it's but the feeling is that there's likely she's going to get she in. She threw right. a little shade at the, the yes. lady from Buckhead. A couple of times. A couple of times, <laughs> right? So she's acting like she's in the race, I should say. And uh, you could have, uh, you know, I think you could have 10 women between the Republicans and the Democrats in that race before it's over. Yeah, and, and, and Bill, it seems to me that you could have the, the, what we saw in the 6th District, The one of the most interesting things I saw in that 6th District district uh, race in 2018 was the rise of apartment complex politics yeah. and and the 7th district Gwinnett that that, that corridor up, up I-85 Gwinnett is just ripe for that's that. kind of what you're talking that's about exactly what I'm door to door politics uh, our democratic friends just so our listeners know went literally door to door in every multifamily apartment complex uh, on the uh, kind of the northern arc of 285 in Atlanta and asked them are you a Republican are you a Democrat do you plan to vote what issues they cared about, and then talked to them 15 or 20 times after that encounter. And that was the mode. And, and Republicans have done this in other parts of the country, but I would say we as Republicans have gotten a little uh, uh, maybe lazy, not 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 my campaigns necessarily, but others on doing that because we haven't had to in Georgia. If, if we as a party can't rectify that, it's going to be a long decade. So Jim Galloway, um, we had another campaign. Well, we had a real campaign announcement. We're kind of speculating about Brenda Lopez, about Renee Unterman. Although yeah, but we, we, got the chairman, we got the chairman. And we right got here, the right? chairman of a brand new campaign. Who is it? Uh, this is Ms. This is yes, the woman. I, I was like, what are y'all talking about? Who is the candidate? Galloway? Oh, the candidate. That's, that would be that would be my my, my my college classmate John Barrow. Oh, you were college classmates. Yeah. All right. So we have you know Tom Faust and I were talking about the Barrow race. Uh, He's running for state Supreme Court. It's now an open uh, seat on the court because uh, Robert Benham, who has been there, I think, since 89. 35 years, since 84. Yeah. Justice Benham is finally stepping down, and he's doing it in the election cycle, which which is a great thing, really, for voters of the state, that voters get a chance to actually elect rather than giving the uh, governor an appointment in in an off year. Um, Running against... Oh, I'll, I will find the name. I will well, find the name. So Sarah Doyle. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, Sarah Doyle. Sarah yeah. Doyle. She's, she's already on the on, on the state court of appeals. Yes, right. right. That probably won't be the those probably won't be the only two candidates. Right. right. Well, right. here again, we're thinking an African American could very well jump well, into and this. That's, race. I mean, I, we should note that that Benham uh, no, number one Benham was the first African American yes. to sit on the, the high court. He's one of two right there uh, right now. Stacey Evans, John Barrow, you're you're chairing his campaign, but. Um, so we're only going to give you a couple minutes here, <laughs> but he really is. What I started to say a minute ago is Tom Faust and I talked about this. Um, gee, what brings this to the attention of our listeners? We don't mm-hmm. spend a lot of time talking about Supreme Court uh, races. He said an interesting thing. He said Barrow has just been a complete. He's completely energized to continue 
seeking office mm-hmm. to to get involved with uh, elected office. He he had to. How many times did he have to move when he was the only Democrat? Yeah, Uh, white Democrat left, um, and they kept drawing his congressional district differently, ran for secretary of state. Mm -hmm. What is it about Barrow that made you want to get involved in his campaign? Since you are coincidentally on the show the day that we hear you're chairing the campaign, tell us. Well, he has a big heart for public service. I think that's the answer to your question. I want to say quickly uh, how much of a loss for the court it will be when Justice Benham uh, retires. Uh, he's a giant. And um, I got into the University of Georgia School of Law because of a program that he started um, that pulled sort of kids that that weren't on the on the score side, but they they had backgrounds that 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 would add to the diversity of the law school. Um, being a first generation college student, that was was what got me into the program. But if he hadn't started that, I very well might not be sitting here. So I just don't want to let, let the moment go by without thanking him for what he's done for the state. But John Barrow has a huge heart for public service. He's extremely smart. Um, he's thoughtful, and he's he's known to be a moderate. I think this is exactly mm-hmm. what the the Supreme Court needs. And actually, actually, the, what you, Bill, what you have to do is look at the timing here. Okay, this is this is a nonpartisan race, mm-hmm. and yet it is it is held concurrent with the state's uh, party primaries. So so he would have it, it kind of, it kind of suits someone of 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 John Barrow's uh, build here, his his ideological build, because you will have. Uh, uh, extreme partisans on the Republican side who have voted for him before elsewhere in the state, and you will have and you will have uh, uh, the hardcore Democrats. Uh, he had, a, I mean, he had he had a problem in in getting kind of the Stacey Abrams voters, but he but he doesn't have a problem getting centrist Democrats. All right, we'll watch that, Heath Garrett. I think this is a fascinating race. It's nonpartisan. However, uh, our sister state, Alabama, went through about 15 years of uh, Supreme Court battles, costing tens of millions of dollars every cycle. And the question is, is does this uh, kind of setup portend that a purplish state, uh, and are we going to start battling over Supreme Court appointments? We, we, we kind of we kind of went that through that one uh, several years ago with a uh, challenge to Carol Hunstein, That's right. and it, it did not work. It is worth noting, before we take our break, um, as we said, Robert Benham on the bench, first African-American state Supreme Court justice in Georgia history. Since 1989, it is worth noting that after Governor then, Joe Frank Harris, uh, supported his race for uh, Supreme Court, Bobby Kahn who went on to a career as Roy Barnes' uh, campaign manager and then chief of staff when Governor Barnes was in office, ran that campaign. And as we talked about briefly before the show went on the air, most of the posters that were put up Vote for Benham did not have Robert Benham's photograph on them. And it strikes me that's interesting because today, I guess there are still pockets of the state here and there when that would happen. But for the most part, we're past most of that, I hope, Jim. Most of that, most of that, and 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 I think, uh, you know, I, I I don't think, I think there was a chance to, to Heath's point. I think there was a time when 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 we were f- about to fall victim to to really hi- highly charged court uh, court contests. I think we're past that now. I got to get to a break. Uh, this is Political Rewind. We'll be back in a moment with a lot more. Now is the time to show your support for Georgia Public Broadcasting. It's super easy to do. Join us as a GPB sustainer. All it takes is a contribution to GPB each month. Set up yours at gpb.org or call 800-222-4788. Your support continues automatically month after month. You never have to remember when it's time to renew. And you provide a steady stream of support for the programs you enjoy, which helps with our planning. Consider joining us at $12 a month as a GPB sustainer, and we'll thank you with the all-new 100% cotton light blue GPB pocket tee. It's quick and easy to do at gpb.org, where you can see all our great thank you gifts. Just click the green donate button at the top of the page, or call 800-222-4788. We're counting on you this spring to keep GPB going strong. Thank you. We're back. By the way, I haven't said anything about this because this stealth fund drive that we're having right now, uh, which has been moving forward without uh, interfering with our being able to bring you our entire programs, has so far been apparently a terrific success. It's risky. 
I I know talking to the folks who run our operation, our development operation, that to say we're just going to rely on you and hope that these quick spots we do encourage you to become uh, uh, donors are are a little bit of a risk. And apparently you've all responded really well. So from the folks here at Political Rewind, at least, I'm very grateful that you all out there are supporting the work that we do here. Enough about that. See, Heath Garrett. The Republicans in the Department of Justice, apparently, I mean, I'm assuming it's the uh, from the attorney general on down, or is it the career people? Maybe I should be careful, (laughs) have issued an opinion that threatens millions of dollars in online state lottery sales and perhaps could undermine the Powerball game as well, because they've interpreted new a, a, a law, a, a law on wire transactions yep. now to mean that perhaps Internet uh, lottery is illegal. And the governor, the attorney general are pleading with DOJ to please be clearer and to reconsider this. It could cost the Hope Scholarship and pre-K a lot of money. Millions of dollars. So a little, a little quick history. The Wire Act was actually passed by Congress to go after mafia mm-hmm. and mob bosses a long time ago. In 2011, the Department of Justice came up with a reg saying state lotteries are exempt from the Wire Act if it comes to games that are done legally on behalf of state lotteries. At that point in time, the state of Georgia and our lottery corporation invested millions of dollars and created online lottery, which has benefited the Hope Scholarship and all of our programs here in the state of Georgia. And then inadvertently, some of our friends in Las Vegas who were trying to squelch other types of online gaming convinced the Department of Justice and or others to just get rid of this 2011 clarity on the reg. And I think there's a big question of talking to the attorney general and the governor's office as to whether or not this was intentional or unintentional. But there are five other states, including the powerful state of Kentucky, which are in the same boat with Mitch McConnell's state and others. And I know they're hopeful that this is a it's it. And it also shows you the complication of gaming in America today. Right. So so, so in essence, this puts us on the same side as uh uh, Las Vegas and Atlantic City and other destination gamblers. Right. Oh, so, some some folks in those towns, though, don't want. Yeah, they, they they're not wanting online gaming at all, and right. they don't care if the lottery gets shut down in this in this respect. Others in those towns do want online, and it's really becoming certain gaming interest against other gaming interest based on who would be the winner in the online gaming world. And we're kind of caught in the middle, in my opinion. Stacey Evans, assuming you're an attorney, assuming there is room here to maneuver, and apparently there is because previously the ruling was that the Wire Act did not cover Internet uh, lottery games, it, it is hard for me to imagine that that DOJ is going to move forward with a rule that could shut down millions of dollars of funding for here in Georgia, at least for Hope Scholarship and the like. I would just seem to me the Trump administration would jump in and come to the mm-hmm. rescue here if there is legal wiggle room. No, you would hope, and it is kind of surprising that that hasn't happened already because uh, the article made clear that the 2011 decision carved that out, carved out the state lotteries. This decision reversed that, and you already have 15 states that have filed a lawsuit. Uh, So if they could jump in and and quickly clarify it, why haven't they? My other question about this lawsuit that New Hampshire started, uh, 15 states total in this, Georgia is not one of them. So my question to Attorney General Chris Carr is, what's up with that? Uh, That's a big deal for the state in the article. He's quoted as saying that this would be devastating. So why is he not? as part of this lawsuit to protect the citizens of Georgia when he was very eager to jump into the lawsuit about Medicaid expansion. Is he letting his Republican love for Trump get in the way of the best interests of the state? Well, as we all know in litigation, right, and I, all full disclosure, Chris Carr is a client of mine, uh, not every uh, piece of litigation is perfectly written, and there's still time to do it. And so when you can write letters, which he did in the Obamacare and nothing was done about that, you eventually do go to litigation, but that's the last uh, result of where you want to go, uh, not the first thing you should do uh, in these types of cases, particularly when you have administration. Although listening. that does not 
negate what Stacy suggested about other suits that the attorney general has chosen to get involved. Well, no, with. Yeah, but he, there's a process he goes through, right? If there's a if there's a channel to try to do something without a right. lawsuit, you try to do that first, and then when that's not available, then then you challenge it on constitutionality and other things. And that doesn't preclude him from going through and joining these lawsuits at the right time uh, in the future as well. Okay. Stacy, in your in, in, when you were a, a House member, you I mean you were something of the the chamber's expert on on the Hoop Scholarship. Uh, how many states have have uh, have a program like that uh, fueled fueled by gambling, based in essence? A lot now, a lot more than when we started ours. Like, and, are those, and, the fifteen are the the fifteen there or more? Oh, much more. But the genius, and do they do it? I mean, the genius, of course, as you well know, uh, not that you were, I mean, you were a kid when this happened, but Mm -hmm. the genius of the Georgia Lottery for Education is that Zell Miller uh, earmarked those funds for specific buckets. Correct. I assume there are more states that give lottery money into the general education budget. Right. Not all states sequester it like we do, uh, which was a big part of the sell, of course, Exactly for us here, and and is why... I implore Attorney General Chris Card to not wait long after this letter doesn't work to uh, to join in the lawsuit to make sure that we're protecting those funds. All right. It's a big deal. I mean, I, it, you know, we'll watch how that unfolds. Um, Jim Galloway, Congress is back in session. They come back tonight, probably. They go to, are they there today, Heath? Do you know or tomorrow? Yeah, they're headed back. Senate. They're headed back yeah. today. So uh, the big issue for Georgia that's hanging in the fire is whether we're going to see any resolution over this impasse about aid for a number of uh, disaster areas. But, of course, we care uh, most right now about uh, farmers hurt by Hurricane Michael. There's been nothing to suggest that the Trump administration, which does not want to give additional aid to Puerto Rico, and the Democrats in Congress who do, are anywhere close. There doesn't seem to have been any activity during the break that we don't, unless we, Heath Garrett wants to tell us about <laughs> some. This thing could be going dragging on and on. And it's David Perdue, not Johnny Isaacson, who's uh, right in the bullseye on this since he has been so clear in supporting President Trump, even on this all along. Right, right. And, and of course, he's got 2020 coming up. And that that needs to give you pause. And you know, it's it's interest. What I what I find interesting now, I haven't I haven't heard him say that he's willing to bend on the uh, Puerto Rico issue of, of getting more finances to them. But you have had members of our delegation say they are willing to bend. Uh, uh, Austin Scott over in Tifton, uh, the the House member. Sure, if you're Austin Scott down there in Tifton, you want to get this resolved. You're right in the middle of and, all and this. You don't care. You just well, you know whatever numbers are out there. You just want to split the middle and go. Right, right, right. Well, and th- these are our friends and family, right in Southwest Georgia, that are still suffering. I mean, the number of tornadoes had come through for a year and a half, two years before that, and a number of disasters there. And then on t- this on top of it. Uh, so before we get to the politics of it, it's just the right thing to do. We need to get disaster relief, whether it's to Puerto Rico, but also to North Florida and to, and to Southwest Georgia. California and Nebraska. California, Nebraska, and all others are, are caught up in it. And it's one of these uh, classic Washington. This is why the average person and the listener rightfully gets frustrated with the dysfunction in Washington. Um, this is not a partisan uh, battle completely, although it's caught up in it. But there are people within both parties that are on both sides of these issues. Um, and then politically, I think that this is uh, hurting David Perdue um, a- a- as a Republican. Uh, that nothing's getting done on it because his people are suffering. He's from uh, that part of the state of Georgia originally. It's also hurting Donald Trump because Florida is always in play in a presidential uh, cycle, and North Florida was uh, as, de- as devastated as Georgia. And, and Orlando has become a, a gathering point for refugees from Puerto Rico. Yeah. Puerto Rico, right. So this has got everything it's awful from a human standpoint. It's absolutely awful. Uh, and it's very hurtful politically for the Republicans, I believe, because you should be able to make an argument if you're David Perdue that my relationship with the president helps our state. And it should, but it's clearly not. Governor Kemp should be able to say having a Republican in the governor's mansion means I can pick up the phone and call President Trump and get what we need. Either they're not making those calls, which I don't believe, 
um, or they're going unanswered, which is which is what I do think is happening. And, and that's just it's just awful. Well, the only news I can break is that having talked to Senator Isaacson this morning, I do know that that's his priority going back uh, with him. He's had a number of calls over the break uh, trying to break the log jam. If there is a peacemaker in Washington who can still broker a deal on something like this, it may be Johnny Isaacson. I can't tell you that there's any uh, give yet on either side of this, but uh, we can all, as Georgians, we ought to hope that he's successful in those efforts. Well, we're also going to watch the House take up a new, I think, a new version of this measure uh, pretty quickly once they're back in session. We'll see what the Democrats who control the House come up with if, if they're looking in any way to break an impasse that might include somehow satisfying at least a part of what president will watch how this unfolds, although it seems to me I'm being naive to imagine the Democratic controlled House and the president are coming to terms anytime soon. All right. But let's they should. go ahead. They should. They Let, should be able to. Let's get uh, our final break of the show out of the way. We'll be back with more on Political Rewind. Now's the time to help make GPB Stealth Drive a success so you'll continue to hear more programming and less fundraising. But this will only work when you help us raise the funds we'd received during a traditional on-air campaign. And as you know, that would mean taking time away from the programs you hear. Your support allows GPB to deliver the valuable services you rely on and enjoy. So now is the time. Donate at gpb.org or call 800-222-4788 and thanks. On the next Fresh Air... You are my angel. And you protect me and I protect you. Patricia Arquette. She stars in the new Hulu series, The Act, based on a true crime story about a mentally ill mother who pretends her daughter suffers from multiple disabilities and illnesses. Arquette starred last year in the prison drama Escape at Danamora. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. We haven't heard uh, much recently from Sally Yates, Jim, the former acting attorney general of the United States, former uh, uh, Georgia U.S. Uh, attorney, U.S. attorney, um, but she was back yesterday after being having been fired by President Trump two years ago. Yeah, now. she she popped up on Meet the Press. She was on Meet the Press. Let's just listen to a little bit of what she uh, had to say to Andrea Mitchell, who was hosting the show yesterday. You know, if you read the entire Mueller report, I think it paints a really devastating portrait of of a president and a campaign who welcomed a foreign adversary's illegal interference in our election, who then continually lied about it and then used the power of the presidency to try to thwart an investigation into his own conduct. That's not exoneration. I've been a prosecutor for nearly 30 years, and I can tell you I've personally prosecuted obstruction cases on far, far less evidence than this. And yes, I believe if he were not the president of the United States, he would likely be indicted on obstruction. Uh, Stacey Evans, there were people, you know, it's interesting to happen to have this uh, soundbite from her on today's show when we're talking about people who are running or not running for office in Georgia. Mm -hmm. There were Democrats who were just, after she left the AG's office, wanted her running badly in a Georgia race. But she's obviously very happy with the life she's constructed for herself in the aftermath of all of that. Right. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of um, people on, on the Democratic side that still wish she would run uh, for something. But uh, I think she's uh, she's an attorney. She's a prosecutor at heart. And, and she's she's doing what uh, what she thinks she can do to make the biggest difference. And, and I think she is. And she'll continue to do it. And good for her. Jim, uh, things move at light speed in this uh, political environment today. So it, it's kind of easy to forget just how central she was to the earliest stages of the investigation. The very, the very of first, I think, Trump. on her on her what her tenth day as yeah. as acting U.S. attorney, she uh, she walked over to the White House to to let the U.S. the the White House counsel know that uh, that Mike Flynn had been caught in a lie by the FBI and uh, he was uh, he was open to blackmail. And it fell from there. Uh, to to Stacy's point, I, I think I think Sally Yates is doing what she wants. I, I think you're, what we saw Sunday was probably the next U.S. Attorney General in 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 a Democratic administration. Definitely. Yes, Sally has a great reputation in the legal community, not just here, but in Washington, D.C. Worked with her for years across the aisle. Uh, strongly disagree with her assessment, and there are plenty of uh, uh, independent prosecutors who disagree with her 
an assessment here. And the other thing we need to think about is, right, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham's not done, right? There's an investigation into the investigators uh, going backwards looking into why did the FBI and DOJ do some of the things they did prior to the Mueller report. I don't know how much of this Sally is aware of, but I don't think they're done with Sally either, unfortunately. And we kind of wish this would just, you know, move on past us. But there's be... <laughs> I think everybody wishes this whole thing would move on past us, but apparently it's, it's not. not right and, and I think she's doing a little bit of the preparation for what's the next version of this, which is why we ended up where we ended up in the right. beginning. I, I want to turn to one last thing on the show today, and I wanted to carve out just a little more time than, uh, than usual for an ending piece like this. The White House Correspondents' Dinner was Saturday night, um, often called the Nerd Prom, um, an event that's controversial, had been controversial over the years because it does have insiders, uh, you know, White House uh, officials, uh, cabinet officials, people who are in political jobs, you know, mingling on a Saturday night with reporters. So, Jim, it's had its problems in terms of its image. The New York Times no longer allows its people to go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. But, of course, what's made it most controversial are some of the comics over the last number of years who have really, really uh, done their jobs by going after the presidents who are sitting in office. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, I think in 2011, uh, Steve Stephen Colbert is now cre Ooh. credited with giving uh, Donald Trump the push he yeah. needed to run for president. Yeah, exactly. He was in the audience. So they did something really interesting this year. And most of us didn't get to see it or didn't care or didn't realize it was happening. It is televised by C-SPAN and others. Uh, they brought in the historian Ron Chernow. Chernow has won Pulitzer Prizes. He is the uh, he's the guy who wrote Hamilton, the book that uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, the biography, turned into the musical. Jim, uh, you and I have both been reading his Chernow's uh, uh, biography of Ulysses S. Grant, which is phenomenal reading. He wrote a brilliant biography of George Washington. He's a he's an extraordinary historian. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So let's listen. I'm going to play a little excerpt from what Chernow said. He acknowledged he's no comic, and he knows that are people going to be people in that audience who are looking for humor. But let's listen to some of what Ron Chernow did tell the correspondence dinner. Toward the end of that bloody conflict, a chastened but still hopeful Abraham Lincoln sat around a Virginia campfire with his chief general, Ulysses S. Grant. And Lincoln quoted his secretary of state, William Seward, as saying, quote, that there was always just enough virtue in this republic to save it, sometimes none to spare, but still enough to meet the emergency. Like Lincoln, I believe devoutly in that saving remnant of grace in our country. We've fought horrific wars, weathered massive depressions, and ended the unspeakable cruelty of slavery and Jim Crow. America has always been at its greatest, not when it boasted, not when it blustered, but when it admitted its mistakes and sought to overcome them. Our precious republic feels fragile, even perishable, at the moment and after the shooting at the synagogue near San Diego today, our civil society feels fragile as, as well. I shudder, shudder at the sheer savagery to which Washington politics has descended. But we've also seen the wisdom of our Constitution at work with the boldly assertive press, an independent judiciary, and a rejuvenated Congress providing checks on executive power. We're being tested, fiercely tested, but I like to think that decency will prevail. History shows that in the short run, the American people can be swept up in all sorts of misguided and wrong-headed things. Think Scottsboro Boys, think Japanese internment camps, think Joe McCarthy, but in the long run, democracy endures. I got to tell you, Stacey Evans, when I, I watch that whole speech on YouTube, and we'll post a link uh, to the C-SPAN uh, version of this thing, uh, he brought tears to my eyes because he reminds us what a great, great country, what a history we have. And although there are, uh, we see our traditions being uh, stomped on left and right by the left and the right, mm -hmm. Chernow reminds us that uh, this country was founded and over the years steered by great, great men and women. Mm -hmm. And he reminds us of our responsibility con to continue that great tradition and how at risk we are right now with veering off the path. Um, we we've got to do better. You know, it's 
it's it's it's interesting the uh this uh, as 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 we're talking right here i think uh, if if he hasn't done it joe biden is getting ready to speak in in pittsburgh to the firefighters to the right? firefighters yeah. his first really real uh speech of the campaign uh and and uh last of course last week when he when he put out his video his his i'm running video he was he was talking about making this a values election you know last week last week we saw the, this this just pile of good economic news mm-hmm. uh, pile up. I mean, jobs are at at, at, at a record low. Uh, deficit's still there, but you know the economy is, is showing no signs of faltering between now and November. Th- this contest should be Ronald Reagan versus Walter Mondale uh, <laughs> again, and it isn't. Because of 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 the values issue that that Cherno was talking about, yeah. that this is this is this is and and and, and Biden is pushing it, but uh, Ron Cherno has has kind of identified this as a values moment. He uh, he he cited numerous examples in his speech, and I didn't want us to be self serving. Those about me, the journalist, and, and Jim Galloway, but he he. He's cited numerous examples of where American journalism has, in many ways, saved the country uh, from uh, uh, crises that, without their being exposed, could have led us down very dangerous paths. Oh, absolutely. I thought it was a very poignant speech. I think it was great timing for that. Uh, my late father-in-law, uh, a, a true distinguished journalist. Otis like Brumby. Two, Otis Brumby, like the, like the two sitting here next to me. I, I've used old school journalism, right? And there's no question that traditional journalism has saved us from the brink on the left and the right uh, for, for multiple generations now. Uh, he oftentimes said he was concerned about the White House Correspondents' Dinner because he was concerned about where journalism was heading because it was becoming infused with the elected officials in Washington rather than holding them accountable in an intelligent and thoughtful way. And I thought this speech did a great job of bringing it back to maybe appealing to that idealism left. And there are plenty of good journalists in Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, and right here in Atlanta, Georgia, and all over the state of Georgia, but they they don't seem to get the attention uh, that others do, and well, I really appreciate it. Well, that. they get the attention from the, the wrong <laughs> the, from, for the wrong reasons, reasons yes. that that factual journalism is now fake news, Stacey Evans. Yeah, well, and, and everybody can be a journalist now because of social media, right? And um, Well, I don't think they can be sure. <laughs> well, they can pretend. Tongue- <laughs> I know. I'm you know what you. I mean. Yes, I do. <laughs> but that's a problem. And, and we've also got the problem with, with some that are uh, particular, not in this room um, and, and not in a lot of print uh, outlets, but some on, some on television on both the left and the right are, are becoming places where people can come and get their platform out as opposed to places where people can come and get grilled and, and ask the tough questions. And that's, that's not journalism. No, but it, it, it is an interesting return to kind of the pre-Civil War uh, uh, platform that journalism was, which was as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a uh, megaphone for, for individual parties. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's interesting to see us flirting with that again. Well, I wa- I'm so glad that we had time to just play a minute of it before we uh, say goodbye for the day. Because as I said, Ron Chernow reminds us of what a great country uh, this is. Galloway, people should read uh, those Chernow biographies, Washington, Hamilton. If Ulysses you want to know about Grant. Reconstruction, the Grant, the Grant biography yeah. is probably the, the best single book I've read. Yeah, one of the things about Chernow is he... He brings those people to life in a way that other biographies have not. He just knows how to make them seem truly human. So anyhow, that was Ron Chernow Saturday night at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I'm glad we could play a portion of it. We're out of time. Stacey Evans, thank you for uh, being here with us again today. Heath Garrett, thank you. And Jim Galloway, I'll see you again on Friday's Political Rewind. By the way, tomorrow on the show... We're going to do a special edition. We're doing a show on the opioid crisis in Georgia. We hear a lot about it across the country. We want to bring it as close to home as possible. So we have a panel of experts who are going to talk to us about how things got so out of control. What is the state doing uh, to look at the crisis? How are people uh, finding places to go for help? All that and a lot more tomorrow on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. See you then. 